Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. On this week's Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, Ryan Bothman, the ECNL communications manager, sat down with Hugh Menzies and Lauren Donaldson, two of the best coaches in the ECNL. Hugh Menzies was the coach of the 2019 Jamaica Women's World Cup team, and Lauren Donaldson will be the coach of the 2023 Jamaica Women's World Cup team. They have great stories to tell about overcoming adversity and how, in fact, the ECNL helped build the Jamaica Women's National Team. The ECNL is such a great platform for the growth of the game. We credit it for some of the things that we've accomplished as individual coaches and also helping our teams get to the World Cup. And I second that because every time I go to an ECNL girl and I see an African-American player out there, we can look across and say, that girl is Jamaican. We see it right away. Me and you are on the ECNL platform. Another ECNL group or team will say, hey, Lauren, I have a very good Jamaican player. So ECNL has been great with us. So sit back and enjoy Ryan Bothman, the ECNL communications manager, conversation with Hugh Menzies and Lauren Donaldson, which starts after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country, with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. My name is Dean Linky, and as I mentioned in the open, ECNL's communications manager, Ryan Bothman, recently interviewed two super successful ECNL coaches in Hugh Menzies and Lauren Donaldson. Their success in the ECNL is top shelf, and they have both had success on the international scene. Hugh Menzies coached the Jamaica women's national team in the 2019 World Cup with help from Lauren. And for the 2023 Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, Lauren Donaldson will serve as the team's head coach. During this edited version of that interview that will also be turned into an article on ECNL media platforms, you will sometimes hear my voice asking the questions and you will sometimes hear Ryan asking questions. You will always hear great information and insight from Hugh and Lauren. Ryan starts the interview with an open-ended question to both coaches, simply asking them how and why they both got into coaching. Hugh answers first, followed by Lauren. You moved to this country for several reasons, you know, for a better life and opportunities. So I came here when I was 16. I played soccer, but I was not good in Jamaica. I was on a decent little club team, but when I came here, there was no other sports because I was more multiple 
cricket and all that stuff. So obviously I wanted to go to university. So soccer was probably the way out for me. So I got more focused about it and ended up playing and playing in college and then got drafted. Played a little bit in the league, the old American Soccer League. And to be honest with you, uh, people like Lauren that played in Jamaica was more my idol coming through. So we're from the same area. I probably live a punt away from each other. I actually learned my football here, to be honest with you. I go back home and tell people that they're like, wow, you know, but I actually learned soccer here and kind of got more involved when I realized I needed to give back to the game after I played and I was working on Wall Street for a little bit and then kind of gave that up. I got all the degrees I needed to get and just handed over to my mom, you know, decided I was going to coach and got involved with high school, got involved with the Olympic development program and then got to University of Texas, coached there and decided to start a club in Austin, Texas. But we, there was a current small club. They hired me and then after that, I started merging clubs together and called Lone Star. So Lone Star Soccer Club was originally what I what I started in, um, in 2004. And then my mom got sick in Florida and then figured I need to go back to Florida, go to Florida and, and help her out. So heading to Florida, and that's um, where we started another club. Kind of grew that into what it is today. While I was doing that, I got a phone call from... Sadella Marley, and, and I let Lauren go now, and then we talk about Jamaica after, okay? okay? Mine was a little bit different. I was I was in Jamaica, played at a high level in Jamaica, played with a national team, and the time come when I needed to leave. I was a, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but I remember you from Jamaica. Okay, as I say, we, we kind of grew up in the same circle. So I came over, and the NASL was going on. My dream was to play in the NASL. When I came here, I realized how difficult it is to get in. Somebody just don't invite you to get in. So I was what, at Metro State University one day just working out. And the coach saw me, and he just came up to me and just said, why are you not playing here? And I said, here's my dream. I want to play in the NASL. He's a good man, Harry Timmer. And he said to me, he said, number one, they're not going to just pick you up like that. You, you have to go to a university so you can be drafted. And I said, okay. So he said, I'll enroll you right now. And I said, okay, let's do that. And got enrolled at the school. Then a couple months later, he came to me and said, you know, the NASL is going to fall. And I said, how do you know that? And he showed me all the stuff that's going on with the league. And I said, I said, okay. So I said, I continue playing at the university. Then a year later, I was playing a game, I think, in Tulsa. And he said, there's some scouts out there to watch you play. Scouts? I didn't know what scouts were at the time. You know, I thought, I thought it was the boy scouts out there. <laughs> so I have no idea. He said scouts. We didn't go by scouts in Jamaica. I'm playing the game. And at halftime, he said to me, there's some scouts over there watching you. And I said, for the NASL. And I said, scouts? I, didn't, I don't see any scouts out there. Then he realized I didn't understand the term. And he says, those three gentlemen in, over there in a suit, they're the scouts. And I said, oh, okay, you mean agents? And yes. And so that's how I kind of started. But we finished that season. He said, don't leave school and go in because don't leave school. They want to take you, but don't leave and go in because the league is going to fold. Give it another year. So I gave it another year. 
the league folded. So he was he was true to his words. I, I went to school, finished, and there's a club here, a semi-pro club by the name of the Denver Kickers. So all the players who played in the old NASL, a lot of those players, now had to come back and play. They had to get their amateur status back and play amateur ball. So I played with a lot of those guys, and you played all over the USA with um, a lot of those guys play like in the all the Canadian teams. And so we were doing that for a few years. Then there comes a league called the APSL, which which becomes the A-League yeah. with with all the national team players, you know, Tab Ramos, Marcelo Balboa, John Ox, Eric Ronaldo. All those guys are playing. So I was playing. I started to play. I was in my young 30s and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is getting boring. Playing, playing, playing. Because there wasn't a lot of money involved. And I was working a I was working a decent job for the city. And I said, for me to play full time and give up my job, by then I had a kid, then I can't take care of my family. So I said, I don't want to play. And I quit playing. I said, I'm not gonna play. I'm just gonna concentrate and work. Then the coach of that team, the Colorado Foxes, he run into some trouble. And his wife called me up and said, hey, Lauren, his name was Emilio. Emilio would love you to come back out and be a part of the team. And I said, as a player? He said, no, as a coach. And I said, I can do that. I can help out. I helped him out. And that's how I started. I went back out there and I started to help him coach. And I realized that just my personal thing, like, like I was far ahead of the game in my coaching stuff than I thought I was. Because I had pretty decent coaches in Jamaica who understand the game. That's how I started. Then I was still playing with the Denver Kickers. Then I started to coach the Denver Kickers and they won a, a few national championships. So I stayed with the Foxes. Then they switched coach, did some, did some coaching in college and keep plugging away at it. And, but I'm still keeping my job because it wasn't, at the time, the money wasn't that good. So about two years in, there's another coach, Dave Durr. He lasted a little bit. Then all of a sudden, he's gone. I took over as head coach. Then I had to quit my job, get into coaching full-time. And that's how I got into coaching full-time. I started at a high, high level. Started doing camps and, you know, started to see if I really enjoyed this. Then everything happened and the World Cup came, 94, to the USA. And a lot of discussion with Alan Rattenberg and all these guys, Sunil, you know, if the ownership was going to join the new MLS, MLS was proposed. A-League was going to go under. So in about 97, I knew then that the A-League was going to go under. So I started making a transition into youth sports. And that's when I took over my current club, which was nothing. The A-League folded. The, the, you know, we sent all our players to the MLS. That was the new league. And it's a long, long, it's a longer story sitting in meeting with um, Alan Rattenberg and my ownership and my ownership sitting there, Martin and Nick Storff and Carlin, the U.S. guy, a communist because of the single entity. He said he's not going to join it. So it's a long story behind that. <laughs> a German guy calling the American guy a communist and mm -hmm. they hated him. And I know everything was done. So I moved into, into coaching at Real Colorado, which wasn't Real Colorado at the time. And the transformation happened. And that's where I started getting involved. Got invited to MLS to coach a lot, but just didn't like the idea. My kids were young. I wanted to spend some time with them. And that's how I started coaching on the youth scene and that stuff. But I spent a lot of time, seven, eight years coaching at the pro league. 
then I did some coaching when the MLS started a couple of years with the Colorado Rapids as an assistant with Tim Ankinson. God bless his soul. He just passed away last week, Tim Ankinson. And that's where my youth foundation started with Real Colorado. Okay, we're going to take our first break. Hugh Menzies and Lauren Donaldson, special guests of Ryan Bothman, the ECNL communications manager, who's preparing an article on the ECNL media platforms after interviewing both Hugh and Lauren. We're going to take a break. We come back. Ryan will start by asking them how ECNL has influenced their career and how that led to the call from Jamaica. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL girls and ECNL boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the National championship winning ECNL girls and ECNL boys coaches of the year and the ECNL girls and ECNL boys goals of the year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, it's Dean Linky turning it over to Ryan Bothman, the ECNL communications manager who caught up with Hugh Menzies and Lauren Donaldson, great ECNL coaches, but also now part of the Jamaica Women's World Cup team, first in 2019 and now in 2023. I turn it back to Ryan. Could you guys describe kind of your experience with the ECNL a little bit and kind of how that maybe helped you and some of the things that you were able to take away from that, that maybe helps you as you coach Jamaica and kind of built that national team up. For me, actually, when we were doing the, the club at Lone Star at the time, we were always looking for a more, more competitive league. We were dealing with a lot of golf driving administrators that didn't know anything about soccer and, and we felt like we needed to have more development league and have more saying things. So the ECNL came about. Well, first the academy on the boys' side came about because obviously they wanted to start develop a league that could we could start uh, having academies with some of these pro teams when the it was the MLS that started. So the boys academy started before the girls, obviously. That was kind of a success because now all the better players were playing on their a proper league and a little bit more competitive, and it was run by football people on the boys' side. And and then one day we decided that the girls needed the same because we were getting tired of dealing with all the red tape. They started out, they used to have a league, um, the Red Bull League, that was on the East Coast, 
which was quite a bit of money to travel up and down. But that was that was in conjunction with their current state league that they were playing. It was intriguing because now they're playing some of the better teams on the East Coast and some of the Texas school Texas teams were playing in it. And then they sat down and said, Hey, why don't we just expand on this and and create a league uh, across the country in different parts of the country, major major markets and and see if we can have directors run a league. That's how the ECNL came about. And that's at that point, that's when I moved to Florida. So my club actually was one of the, the first clubs, the Lone Star Club, into the ECNL at the time. Decided to expand the league so we can try to limit some of the traveling. The ECNL just took off, started taking off on the growth side. And I moved to Florida, which didn't have ECNL at the time. So what we did was, because we got so used to a club-based league, which what the ECNL is, club versus club. When I got to Florida, if you want to make a living in this game, you have to coach multiple teams. But in Florida, they didn't have ECNL, so you had one team playing in Tampa, one team playing in Miami, and one team playing at home in Orlando. So it was crazy to try to make a living trying to coach your teams because they're all over the place. So I went to U.S. Club and said, hey, we need to start a, a Premier League through U.S. Club, club-based league. And we did start it there. And um, and Christian was on was at the time working full-time with U.S. Club, developing these leagues. And this was outside of the ECNL. And then we developed that league. And then just to kind of pilot it through to see if Florida so – Florida was a mess, right, um, from a soccer standpoint. So it was it, that league was used, the MPL was used as a pilot league to see if, if Florida teams can really commit to this. And and we did. I mean, we, we eventually grew, put two teams in there. We're part of the Georgia Conference and South Carolina. And obviously, it just started expanding. And then they started to, we brought in an event into Florida, Christmas into Orlando start marketing that ECNL start marketing themselves in Florida and then it just started to grow. And so I I will say the ECNL has really been a true testament of the development of the women's game and the girls are pro teams or national teams because it, it was, we brought the best clubs together and the best staff together. And I feel the best com- competition together and it was run by us as directors which we had a say in everything that we were doing they did um, lay that foundation and and to is today what our, our pro teams are are encompass a bunch of um ECNL players from those eras so lauren you can go yeah it's a little bit the same kind of trajectory with um the boys academy came about and it was nothing for the girls and when the boys academy came about out which I think was, you know, uh, some of the rules I didn't agree with, but I thought the boys love it and it was a success. So a bunch of guys, you know, like say Greg from Concord and, you know, Bernie and all these guys from the Seattle area, all the guys, Doug and all the guys decided to um, do something with Red Bull. You know, I was invited into that league. You know, we played, but, you know, we were trying to, um, the guys just sat around, you know, Kristen Lever and these guys came about and, it's time to do something bigger for the girls because the boys had a platform that was, you know, semi-successful at the time. So we went into the ECNL and formed this league and um, trials and error, you know, different rules, different stuff. But right off, it was a home run 
because the girls love it. Traveling was much. We always try to have the kids or the team save a buck. So we tried our best to structure it so we can limit the travel. The tournament becomes a big hit with all the college coaches. And most of the best teams, I would say all the best teams in the country are a part of this league. And it's all the best teams. So this was a feeding ground for college coaches came in. So I personally, we stepped out for a couple of years because of the academy girls. Realized that wasn't a thing for us with the academy girls and got back into the ECNL. We spent a lot of time in the ECNL and all of our girls somewhere along the line, whether it's a Mallory Pugh or Sophie Smith or players like that, played in the ECNL. So we had some very successful players who played in the ECNL who we think it was a good breeding ground. And it's still a good breeding ground for female players, especially female players and their development to the U.S. national team, the 17s, the 20s, the 15s, and the full national team. So... I mean, that's how we kind of started, you know, you know, it, it's bigger and better now. I think everybody's more experienced. I think everybody's more comfortable with the setting of the ECNL. And that's why it's a top league, not just in this country, but I say it's a top league, female league in the world, barring any. So that's kind of the growth. That's how, that's how we kind of got involved. Again, we're all friends and, you know, all the guys from all over, East Coast, West Coast, South, North, we're all good friends. We meet, we talk. We compete against each other. We win, we lose. <laughs> we have good times, we have bad times. Certainly more good times than bad, as you just heard. The ECNL has played a big role in the development of Hugh Menzies and Lorne Donaldson. If you recall, Ryan Bothman asked them about how it helped them prepare to lead the Jamaica Women's World Cup team. Hugh was the coach in 2019. Lorne will be the head coach in 2023 in New Zealand and Australia. When we return, Hugh kicks it off with the transition to the Jamaica Women's National Team. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm Dean Linky, reminding you that Ryan Bothman sat down with Hugh Menzies and Lorne Donaldson, great ECNL coaches that have also spent a ton of time coaching the Jamaica Women's National Team. Hugh, the head coach of the 2019 Jamaica Women's World Cup team. Lorne will have that role for the 2023 Women's World Cup for Jamaica. When we took a break, Ryan Bothman had asked them about how ECNL prepared them for national team duty with Jamaica. We pick up with Hugh Menzies talking about the transition to the Jamaican women's national team. As far as the national team, when we got the call from Sedella Marley to see if we wanted to help, at the time they were trying to qualify for the, they just got into the CONCACAF portion, the final round to, to try to qualify for the World Cup. They reached out to me personally and then about seeing if they could come to Florida and train. And obviously I was based in Florida, so they, so they came over with their team, and the first person I called was Lauren. Obviously, we always wanted to give back to our country, helping grow women's football, because we did see some of the talent, and we knew that 
if we put something together, it, it, it's got a chance. Another platform to help young females in our country. So we got involved and um, they didn't qualify that year. They end up getting rid of the coach. And then they ask us if we want to be the staff of the national team. And obviously we didn't, we didn't order. We just went and said, yeah, we'll, we'll help as much as we can. We'll do it. And then they dropped the hammer and said, there's no more, no more senior teams, which wasn't a big blow to us because if they just kept the youth national teams going, we felt like we could build from there. So we went, we went the grounds, um, on the groundswork and start hitting the pavement in Jamaica and try to find the better players. And we got a couple of players to come up and go to boarding schools and obviously go to college. And then we just started to build from the younger teams. Lauren took the 17s. I took the 20s, dealing with the federation, the, the lack of resources. Because of uh, who we are here and the people that we know, people are willing to help us to help with the resources for our players. We reached out to everybody and because the federation wasn't, really helping us at all. We just kept plugging along and was waiting for them to let us know when qualifier was going to be for the senior team. Lauren won the Caribbean Cup with the 17s, which was probably the first time Jamaica did that. Um, I lost in the final to Haiti in Haiti in the 20s. But we knew that was going to be the core of our team, of the national team. So when the program went dormant, the senior national team, we just start putting kids into different parts of the U.S., keep them going, keep training them, bring them into Florida to do some camps. And we just kept growing it from there. When we got the phone call, and Lauren can start off from that, but it was a journey, <laughs> to say the least. And um, Lauren, Lauren, you can start going into that part of it. Well, I mean, one other thing what you mentioned is um, that I took the 17s and you took the 20 and we realized if we're going to do this, we're going to start from the, start from the bottom. Right. And actually the ECNL, the ECNL was a major part because we're both in the ECNL. So we could scout players, which was very, very good. So we're scouting players for the under 17 and the under 20. So <laughs> we can, and, and there's a lot of good stories on those. So all our players now were coming from those with a couple of players, one or two players going to college under 20, but, it, but that was the basis of ours. So when we transition to try to transition these players into the national team, we were very, very young, very, very inexperienced. No pro player, hardly any pro players. We we have a, one or two veteran players that, you know, we call upon to come in, but we were a very young team. So we spent a lot of time over that those times without pay, without per diem, okay? Mm -hmm. And just sit at a Mali, with some, some, some elf, I've worked with the Federation, that's the earth a little bit. Some elf from the Federation, you Menzies was good enough to, you know, we were training in Florida a lot. We have to find a chef, we have to find a hotel. And as he says, you know, a lot of the kids could, he, could he even afford a simple thing as a sports bra. So we have to, with our contacts, we have to get them boots and sports bra and everything for all these kids and teams and everybody. Okay, we still want to see the U-17s coming up still. We're still in charge of those. And everything, the 17s, the 20, and the national team, everything goes hand in hand because we're working with all of them. We're working with all these teams, just trying to figure out how we're going to get a national team together. So that's where everything started. We started to put stuff together. We started to work. 
a few veteran players. We at the time, our, our plan wasn't to qualify for the 2019 World Cup. Our plan was to say, can we get them to the 2023 World Cup? Okay. But things kind of break our way, way once the qualifications start. And I can have you pick it up from there again and talk a little bit more when we start preparing for qualification and start doing this and, yeah. you know, a camp here and a camp there, how that so, works out. Yeah. So we got, we got the phone call that we have to put a national team together, which in the back of our heads, we were already doing it with the younger kids. And so we had a, a couple of months to get ready. They had a draw and we actually drew Haiti all the, the French-speaking Caribbean countries was in our group. And unfortunately, we had to go to Haiti to play them. We put a group together. We kind of scrambled a little bit. We went to Haiti. And we thought it was like sabotage or something. Because, I mean, I don't know how we get just get stuck in Haiti to play all these French-speaking teams. So so we, we um and, and I've been, I don't know if you've been to Haiti, but um, it's pretty intimidating to look at and and obviously we had we had a mixture of the team a lot of you know born jamaicans and obviously diaspora kids are were, were most makeup of the of the national team we went into haiti very hostile type environment and we we kind of use that as the barometer like when we bring players in if you can survive the haiti you can survive anything, you know? So so we went there with, um, obviously, the first game, and they put us on the, the hottest time of the day. It was 4 o'clock on the, this turf. The first two games was brutal. We played Guadalupe, and um, we beat both teams there. And then, obviously, Haiti. Who was the other team, Lauren? Guadalupe. Okay. Martinique. 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 So we went into the Haiti game on goal differential. Uh, actually, Guadalupe was playing Haiti the night before, and we were watching it. And we scored, I think, 12 goals against Guadalupe, and Haiti had 11. And they got a penalty kick at the end of the game to tie us with goal differential. And for some reason, this young girl, Guadalupe goalkeeper, saved it. So she was we, like a hockey keeper. She was a fighter. She wasn't even a proper goalkeeper, but she yeah. saved the ball. So we go into the Haiti game. All we needed was a tie to get out of there. We went to the stadium. We, we told everybody that, hey, just leave all your crap in the hotel. Just carry limited things to the field because we're not sure what's going to happen <laughs> when we go to the stadium. And, and the stadium was... I think it was like 12, 12 to 15,000 seat stadium, but it felt like there was 30,000 in the stadium. And uh, and there's another 10,000 outside. Very intimidating environment. There's a big fence around the field and you got these Haitians on the fence. And, uh, shaking it down, shaking it down. Shaking it and going nuts. And to be honest with you, they came, when, we came, when we started the game, they came out and scored the first goal. And and, I, and I'll tell Lauren, and Lauren can pick up a little bit too, is that the roar, that roar, I'll never forget the sound. It sounded like, sound like a hurricane coming in with the eye. It was so loud. I mean, we were beside each other and we couldn't hear each other. 
And I, I remember saying to Lauren, if we freaking ever come out of this place, we're going to have to sprint out of here because if we come out on top. So they went up 1-0 on us. Then they scored a goal, another goal on us. We were 2-0 down into the game. And then about two minutes to go in the half, Trudy Carter scored one. And to be honest, we went into the locker room. And I don't think we talked much about soccer. We talked about just life in general, what we've been through and things that... Well, you know. well before we go into the locker, before we scored, there was a little break in action. So the kids come over and yeah. we just we just keep telling them, we got to pull one back before halftime. Right. And if we pull one back before halftime, then we can go in the second half with a goal down. Mm-hmm. And Bonnie Shaw, we weren't getting many calls, so we're not going to depend on a lot of calls. So Bonnie Shaw slipped one to Trudy Carter, about you know less than two minutes to go, and Trudy scored. And that's when we look at each other and we say, we have them, okay? We have them. But let me just go back to this real quick. The funniest thing is four years later, it's a Bonnie Shaw to Trudy Carter scored. That was the goal that we needed. Four years later, in Mexico, against 80, for us to qualify, people don't realize this. Bonisha, the Trudy Carter, scored the first goal against 80 in Mexico. <laughs> so that's, like, that's the biggest coincidence I have ever seen in my life. Four years <laughs> later, the same thing happened. Go ahead, you. Uh, halftime. So we go into the halftime. One of our outside box was hydrating Lauren Silva. It was so hot, and she was, I think the first two games took it out of her, the heat. And she's one of those players that probably training at midnight while we told him not to go take a rest. But <laughs> so she was overhydrating. So, but, you know, she got up and she played. I think she played the, she went back out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She went back so out. She ended up went out and played. And then, um, so we went in and then, a ball got played into to Bunny on a counterattack, and they brought her down because she was in. They didn't give a red card to the player. Uh, it was a breakaway foul. So we ended up getting the free kick, and Bunny tied the game. 2-2. She was running over to the fence, holding the, the crest of Jamaica. And we're like, Bunny, get away. Get away. <laughs> you know, you got all kinds of things about to happen, and I started telling the, the equipment guy, I said, hey, we got to pack all our crap up right away and make sure we can run out of here because if we hold on 2-2, we're going to get through the group. We did hold on, and to our surprise, we got a standing ovation. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was one of it the was unbelievable. I've ever seen. Unbelievable. I mean, they're, they're Haitian players on the ground crying because that was it for their, them, their World Cup because they put so much time into it. And we got a standing ovation because it was a good game. It was a good football game. And we were really surprised. We thought we were going to be like sprinting out of there, dodging bullets, dodging everything. The Haitian people received us very well. Because at the end of the day, if you play good football, that's it. It's a common language. And we got out of there, moving on to the next, the CONCACAF round. We decided that we're going to go to Colombia. Um, to kind of see where we were, because we still, I mean, Lauren could say, we still weren't sure because it was such a young team that we are going to get through to go to the World Cup. So we said, let's let's go to Colombia and see where we are. We get to play different teams. And, and we wanted to make sure that we start 
seeing where we match up against the South Americans. So we went there. We couldn't really get everybody going there because the league was still going on their leagues. We had some people playing in Europe and so forth. So we took like a B team slash third team type, but we still had Bunny Shaw and some of the some of the key players went with us uh, to Colombia. And we played um, Costa Rica, which was good to Canada. They were part of our, um, we're going to play them in CONCACAF. And we played uh, Venezuela and we, we lost both games 2-1. And then we played Colombia, the host nation, and we won three to one that game. We walked out of there saying, hey, we can compete with some of these players with lesser, with a lesser team. Um, obviously, Bonishaw was there, so that makes a little bit of a difference. We wanted to play in Jamaica because Jamaica, I've never seen the team since, is it like 12 years that yeah. we played in Jamaica because the Federation never wanted to spend any money locally to bring teams in to play them. So they've never played on the Jamaican soil. They brought in the Caribbean qualifiers to us. And we, we begged and clawed to host it. And because it was going to cost the Federation so much money, they were against it. We got the government involved and they said they will help us to host it. So now we have all these Caribbean countries coming in for the next round of the qualifying the Caribbean Cup. And we started out with like probably a handful of fans the first game. We played um, one of the lesser countries and we, we beat them like something teen type score. I think Bunny had like five, six goals or whatever. And, um, and then the next game we played Bermuda who we had a little bit more fans you know, probably a couple hundred fans. And then they start realizing, and Jamaican, and, and, and Lauren can attest to this, if you're playing good football, they'll come watch. If it's crap, <laughs> you, you won't see anything, right? Nope. nope. Uh, but we call them bandwagoners. So they jump on the bandwagon. We beat Bermuda, and, you know, the, the paper was, you had the past prime minister of Jamaica that was involved, Edward Siaga, that owned a local major league men's team. And he was coming out to the games and he was so intrigued by how we were playing proper football, playing out the back, connecting between lines. He was just so intrigued because he's just a, he's an analyst, you know, in his own way of how the game should be played. They interviewed him. And he said, this is better than the, watching the, the reggae boys. That made a little bit of statement. So we played Trinidad, which was a, always a rival. And it was their independence, the Trinidad independence. And we we played them and they scored first. and was going nuts in front of our bench. They scored early too, like in the first four minutes of the game. And then we came back and beat them like 4-1, 4-1. We went in 1-1 at half. And then we substitute a young player in, Giselle Washington, who came in. Uh, and she was a high school player at the time. She came in and just changed the whole game. Actually scored this, the second goal. And we ended up beating them 4-1. And then we had to play Cuba. And we beat them 6-0. And now we had fans come into the game. We had people come into the game, people asking questions. And, and then now we had to head to 
to we got the first seed out of the Caribbean going into the qualifiers. So that put us start putting us on the market and, and people realizing that we're a little bit of a small country, but you know, we're actually trying to build something here. And then we went into qualifiers. We drew Canada, Cuba, and we drew Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Yeah, and we wanted to play Costa Rica because we felt like we lost to them 2-1 on a late penalty in, in Colombia with a lesser team. And we felt like we were better than them. We lost the Canada game 2-0. And we could say, honestly, that was probably the best game defensively we played as a group. Still probably today, <laughs> this day. Um, no, it was good because one of the yeah. Canadian goal, we thought it was a clear offside. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And we had and, we had a goal called back that we thought was fair. So I mean, yeah. yeah so we, we were some, we were yeah. happy. So it came down to beating Costa Rica, who's been our nemesis for a long time, not only on the Cena team but also on the youth national teams, and we kind of developed a little bit of a rival with them, just per se. So the players came out. We were zero zero. Kind of, I kind of got on Bunny personally because I thought. She was still holding back a little bit because I thought she was one of the best players there and kind of pissed her off a little bit at halftime. And she got out in the first two minutes, she scored 1-0. We held down, beat them. And then all we had to do is beat Cuba to go to the next phase of the um, CONCACAF, the semifinals. And on the other end, uh, Panama was doing something similar because <laughs> they ended up beating Mexico. Yep. And, um, you know, obviously the U.S. was in their group, which, you know, if you just got to beat one of those teams, and same thing for us with Canada group, if we beat Costa Rica, we're in. So so that was always our mindset. Who Not who we can try to win games with, but who we can beat and who we need to beat to get through. We actually went in there, we had the, we drew the U.S. for the semifinal game. We felt like we, we didn't have to play everybody in that game. We still had to play Bunny Shaw because, you know, I think Jamaica would have cut our heads off if we didn't play her against the U.S., but we weren't really concerned about that game. We we're more concerned about the, the third-place game. We went in there. We got out of our game plan a little bit, one or two players, and we got hammered in the first half. We took money off because she was getting pretty riled up. I think Julia was she was gonna she was she was she was she had a yellow card. Yeah, yeah. Julia put a tackle on her. Kinda, you know, she retaliated with a with a hard tackle. And we thought she was thrown out of the game because it was you know, actually <laughs> yeah we wanted to take her out first half. And we said yeah. you know but definitely she's not going back out there. You know going back out there and and then, you know, obviously Panama was the game that we needed to win. And, you know, we went in thinking that we, we should cruise through. But there's so many things happened when we went to Dallas. It was just a long trip to get to Dallas because the Federation still didn't pay for certain things. And we had to, you know, get certain flights and, you know, we had to kind of contribute to the thing and, and then when we went to Dallas, it was 40 degrees cooler than McAllen. But, but, but let me just say something, though. At the time, at the time of the Federation and Jamaica, nobody believed we can qualify still. Yeah. The only belief that we have was just us, the players, and, 
and Marley and Sidella, but nobody in Jamaica, because every interview I had, you know, nobody believed we can qualify. I mean, right. it's like, okay, you guys are you guys are doing the impossible when we went to Dallas, and then when when we get to the final round, then they realize, oh, Jamaica has a chance. But the, the problem was we had nothing. We had no gears. No, yeah. Jamaica signed a contract. Jamaica signed a contract with Umbro. The guys were playing. The guys are wearing Umbro. Jamaica is still wearing, you know, we call it, the the girls are still wearing, you know, we call it, I mean, I mean, our inside joke is we're wearing the Taliban, the Taliban gear still, Romai. We're still wearing the Romai gear, okay? And the guys are wearing Umbro because the Umbro contract, there was nothing for the girls, zero for the girls. That means it's 45, 40 degrees in, 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 in Dallas. It's raining every day. We have no kind of clothing winter to, to winter gears. I mean, by the time we're done with the tournament in Dallas, we had six different brands <laughs> on the sideline. <laughs> we had Adidas, we had Puma, we had Umbro, we had Romai, we had like any it. kind of gears that you can think of that we're wearing on the sideline because we had no gears, you know. So, so when we first got to the hotel, we sat down to eat and these workers came up to us speaking Spanish to us and we're like no we don't speak Spanish we speak English and the lady I went to the manager and I'm like first the food wasn't you know they're supposed to cook food that we can eat we're used to eating and because we send them a menu it was a different type of food so I went up to the manager and like I mean we got there late we we're hungry what the hell is going on and the girl the lady looked at me and said aren't you Costa Rica and I'm like, what? We mean Costa Rica. Well, Costa Rica came here a month ago to scope out the hotel, all this stuff. And I said, no, we're in Costa Rica. You know, and I don't speak Spanish and we need to get proper food so our players can eat. So I kind of used that back on the players a little bit too, going into the event. We realized that we needed some winter gear because it was so cold. So I called a buddy of mine up at um, Trader up in Maryland and told him to send me some some long sleeve shirts. We ordered it. It was taking a while. We couldn't get it in time because it was had to be yellow, the color of our uniform to match. And and um, the, we had the Taliban uniform on, so we had to match everything with it. We decided to go to Sam's. Now, Costco. We went to Costco. To we went to Costco to, to try to get... A, some warm gear for the players. And Lauren, you can go through that deal because um, we saw some jackets for $29.99. Well, $29.99. $29.99. Costco. And, uh, we, and um, we've been paying for a lot of things, you know, without the Federation. So we're like, Lauren, let's just get, you know, well, I'm gonna 25. Five of these things, thirty, I think it was. Go ahead. It was actually a good because it was a, it was, it was yeah. actually, it was like a, it was kind of like a down jacket, you know, that you would see somebody wear, like and going to Wall Street, and I'm like, okay, this is good. It has a hoodie, and it's actually a rain jacket, and the rain cannot penetrate it, so it was actually a good Costco jacket, and um, so we bought it. We think the girls gonna just crucify us and say, what the hell is this? They love it. <laughs> like this is the greatest thing. This is great. You know, but that jacket was um over five hundred dollars. So you know, yeah, they thought yeah. we went. It on really looked like it. <laughs> so we went up having that jacket, and um, and the day of the, we were going to 
training. We had to train in a dome because it was so cold. We actually went to train again for the third place game. And we were waiting for Panama to come out of the... Yeah, Panama the, was in the in the building. The, dome, the indoor dome training. And there was just the stadium beside it was out in the, the call. And for some reason, we parked in the bus, we're waiting, and the rain stopped falling. No, I walked over there. I'm like, I wish if we could train outside. So I walked over there, and the guy in charge of the stadium, I said, can we train here if we need to? And the guy said, yes. And then I came back in the bus and the rain just stopped falling. And we just said, well, let's not wait for Panama. Let's go out there and train. Yeah. We needed to train in that environment oh, anyway, outside. Yeah. And we had the jackets, you know. So so the girls were happy they had the jackets and they started to train in those jackets. And then didn't warm up, but the rain stopped and they all take the jackets off. And I'm like, oh, this is a good thing, Okay. We yeah. did the rehearsal for everything right there, penalties, everything. We know we if it came to penalty, we were going to switch keepers. Everything was done right there. We had our mind made up. Mm-hmm. And then you you could take and, it to the game. Yeah, and that, and to be honest, with you, the last kicker uh, was Dominique Flaza. And she actually missed. When we simulated the penalty kick, she missed it. And, uh, yeah, and then I brought her back and said, yeah. I like the way she hit it. I said, can you put it in that corner? She take, she took, she missed the first one. And I'm like, oh, I like her action. And then she had a couple more. And I'm like, okay, when we get to the game and we switch keeper, I mean, you can go there. You know, everybody was, nobody knows. Yeah, I answer, uh, we, we were both sharing rooms. And I said, Lauren, I think we're going to go PKs. <laughs> I really do. I just feel like we're going to get to that point. We were cruising throughout the game. We were clearly missed some good chances. We know. were clearly the better team, but yeah, yeah, but, but then we just you know we missed chances, and then we would just hand them a gold, yeah, you know. Yeah. But we were clearly the better team, but we mm-hmm. couldn't close the deal. We went in the penalty kick, and obviously we ended up winning the PKs. The girl that missed in the simulation, she ended up making hers. The good thing is during the game, we were trying to get the goalkeeper in, go had to make the switch. And the ball just couldn't go out. And we were trying to get, and I think we had somebody go down. Right? And we're trying to get him to kick it out of bounds or something. Kick him out of bounds or something so we can get the goalkeeper in. And the last minute or so, we got her in. Right before the, the penalty, they start the blow for the penalty kicks in the overtime. And we got her in, and she made two great saves. We buried all her PKs. Uh, we got through, and it was um, was definitely goosebump feeling because of all the things that we've been through with the federation, with with everything. People just saying you're not gonna do it, and you know we're wasting our time. The effort that we had as a staff going through and just dealing with things, adversity, it was very self rewarding. Qualifying wasn't the main thing for a lot of us; it's more proving that women can do this you know, in our country because, um, you know, just just the whole women's liberation type aspects of it, of giving them some self-parament in themselves and having them believe and so forth. That was something that we was bigger than football that we want to accomplish. And that was a start. The bandwagonists all came out. We went back and we did a celebration in Jamaica. It was unbelievable. We went from one side of the country to the next on a float and... It was awesome, that part of it. And we still didn't get much respect from the Federation at the time. And we're still fighting, still carrying, getting through things. 
this is when we start getting all these emails from all these diaspora kids in England and to come into the team. But we felt like we needed to keep the same team because that's what took us there. We did bring in a couple of players. One was pregnant at the time, so she didn't. So she got done. Um, Shayna Matthews. So she came into the team, and Kayla McCoy came into the team. We played at Duke, and she played in the ECNL. And so did um, Shayna played in the ECNL. So a lot of these ECNL kids start floating in, and they they played in college, so and they had the experience, and start bringing those players in. And then uh, who we, we were trying to get in in the first place is just that they had issues with passports and obviously Shana was pregnant at the time. So we went ahead and brought those players into the deal, but we still were fighting with the Federation at the time, getting games, prep games, because we, we felt FIFA already, there was money set aside to get us prep money to, to go through the World Cup. And we just felt like they weren't, putting that, that money into the proper use. So the, the government helped us a lot. We, we hosted Chile. We um, end up going to South Africa, playing a game there, and then coming back and we played Panama as our send away game in Jamaica, which was unbelievable crowd and great atmosphere. And then Lauren, you could probably go through the journey to the World Cup, which was, we stayed in what, 13, 13 different hotels. Just to, get, just to go through. So, so we were all... Federation we, we, was unorganized, didn't, didn't get anything. We were at the, hotel, at the airport waiting for our plane tickets in the line to come through. And we're going to the World Cup. I mean, it was unbelievable. We were just like, this is not, this is not happening. We had to miss our flight with some of the players because there was no more space available for those players to go because they waited so long to buy the plane tickets and and it was it was hell and we went end up in Scotland because we had a game in Scotland. It took us two days to get there via Casablanca <laughs> because they just couldn't get the proper flight. Some of us went through Casablanca. Some of us, we flew into Gatwick, which we had to, to we had to catch the the next plane out of um, Heathrow, Heathrow, Scotland, and they just didn't know that it's not like it's close. They think Gatwick and Heathrow is just pretty much the same. It wasn't, so we had to get a get transportation from one airport to the next, and then head to Scotland. And I, I, Lauren and I stayed behind because there were six players that couldn't make the flight, and Lauren and I stayed behind to stay with those players. So we got a direct flight into Heathrow and then head to Scotland the next day. And when we got to Scotland, we still we still had issues. The luggage didn't come because it was stuck in Casablanca. A lot of the uniforms, the gears. And then when I got downstairs to go to practice, the bus driver came up to me and like, we haven't gotten paid yet. <laughs> so. So before the team came down, I had to drop a credit card on the deal, and and they didn't know what happened. We just try to keep everything them focused more on football, and we got through there and got training in, and then we end up playing Scotland, and which was their largest crowd ever in Hamden Park, and um, we end up losing three two. Bunny got injured, and then we lost um, Kayla McCoy to an ACL in that game. Then we decided to go to France from there. 
via London, we had to do some things with the Federation, some appearances, which was definitely a pain in the butt because we didn't think we we should have gone directly to France. They were smooching the diasporas in London, trying to get contacts to get money. And so they just used us to do that. And we were pretty upset about it because the players were on their feet constantly and doing these appearances and so forth. And then we finally end up in um in France, Lyon. And then obviously the World Cup started for us through that. You know, obviously the Brazil game was probably the most watched game at the time ever. Great atmosphere. Definitely a goosebump type atmosphere for the players, for the staff, and everything we've accomplished. We're the Cinderellas of the World Cup. Everybody was cheering for us. We, you know, the Federation was so not organized enough to to get Jamaican gear out there. So people were wearing anything yellow. And if we walked out there with the Jamaican shirt on, they want to take it off our backs. And we did what we could do and play well. And, you know, it was a great, great atmosphere for our players. And we didn't, we lost both games, the first games. And um, we're going into the last game and we still haven't scored a goal. And Lauren training before was kind of pushing to do a little bit of a switch see if we can get Bunny deeper because we weren't getting on the ball enough. And it paid off in the Australia game where Havana Salon scored the goal for us. So it just exemplified what we were there for. And that one goal was a lot more important to us than we thought. Just scoring a goal and feeling like we've accomplished something, um, even though we lost the game. But the experience was unbelievable. And it put us on the map per se, and the support was there for us, the diaspora. And we came back home and things kind of split apart a little bit. The thing is we had to get ready for the Olympic qualifier, which is back to back. And that's when the Federation and I went south, north and south, and Lauren kind of took over and he took it from there on. I stepped away just because of a lot of work and a lot of things that we were you know, promised and things didn't happen and, and I and I felt like the disrespect wasn't was there and I didn't want the girls to get hurt. So it was good for me to step away and Lauren felt the same way. And I think to get anything going it was a stalemate me being there because I was more vocal about things. And then Lauren took over and kinda got to the point where he felt the same way and he stepped away too. And that's when Busby kind of took over and went through the qualifying in Canada. And they lost really bad against Canada, Mexico. And, you know, we kind of failed there because we thought we were, the team was better. World Cup team was better. And um, we ended up getting some new players. And we thought they would have done much better against Canada. But we weren't there. Lauren and I wasn't there to coach. And uh, they had a different staff. Definitely a little bit of a hole. And then, you know, Lauren can take it from here because he ended up going back and and um, they accepted him. They didn't really want me involved, and which is fine. You know, I mean, it is what it is. But as long as the girls were getting the opportunity and, you know, and I knew Lauren was there, which is somebody that we felt like could take them to the next level, continue the what we've kind of blueprinted for them. Lauren, that's done, you know. Well, I don't know. I mean, Busby was there and he got in some, from what I understood, he got in some trouble and he had to seek out his legal stuff and they hire 
they hired another coach and you know I am just coaching merrily along ECNL not you know you know you, you follow the players you know the players they brought in because some of the players we're looking at somewhere along the line I think the players with the new coaching staff after Busby they didn't like what was going on the direction the team was going in so they they decided to um you can call it rebel that's when they rebel against the current staff the staff that was there and you know that staff was out you know actually me and you get a lot of blame for that because we we had nothing to do with it i mean because the girls were intelligent enough to know what they want and that's when i got a phone call i think i talked to them you know i got a phone after he was gone i got a call and said if i would you know come in and try to help them out and i think long and hard about it my wife said no you're not doing it and i said shit here goes my divorce if i do it <laughs> and i said okay i thought about it and i woke i woke up one morning and everybody said you're crazy if you do it i woke up one morning and I said you know what i i have to go in and help the girls out and we had two weeks when i said that i think i i sent a message to sedella and said the only way i can do it unless i can get the girls into colorado to train so we had a two week training camp before we go to Mexico for the preparation because they were out they weren't playing games they were out of shape they finished with their league nobody was fit except a few girls and Sidella said she will get them to Colorado and I said okay I will do it if that's the case we organized we planned we got will and we are uh, put our heads together we got our staff together and we brought them into Colorado and they loved it attitude was killing them the first three days we didn't know we we're going to make it through you know the first five days it was it, it was it, it, it was we can't make it through so we had to back up a little bit on the training because of the attitude was killing them and their fitness and whatever but we knew in the long run especially myself and will ack brought in laurie thomas and you know alicia was there and everybody we were going to brought in xavier from jamaica the, the vibes was really 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 good so we felt good about it going into mexico to play our focus was just on the first game which was mexico everybody thought it was impossible except us and i said you know what we we came up with a game plan and we said this is what we're going to do because we knew then four points is good okay we're not going to beat the usa okay we're not trying to fool ourselves because we're not there yet number one the fitness is 102 degree in mexico every day it's 96 degree every time the game started we know we didn't have the juice to play back to back mexico and the usa so we said okay we have to we have to get a result against mexico we have to win or get a tie when we know that and then we have to try to take get a result against um ad so we we got into the game the girls were tuned in the game plan was followed and we got the result against mexico it was disaster for mexico and it was funny because the, the the we had a very cordial good relationship with the USA because we trained at the same place i mean there was a lot of stuff the first game before mexico we were run around the first two days of training we were run around the city two to one and a half hours before the game every day going to different training sites and they said that's not where you're training so we thought it was planned by the mexicans and it and our girls were livid i remember one day we, we didn't even train we went to a site and haiti, haiti was there training and you know swaybe walk out to me and said lauren we've been driving for two and a half hours the girls don't want to train and i'm like you know what you're right let's not train so that pissed off all the girls okay so when we play mexico we were even more pissed off 
And when we took care of Mexico, we realized that the U.S. is going to be a challenge. Okay. And right there and then we said, if the game got away from us early, we're going to just make sure that we protect some players. And that's what we did. We knew we had to go into 80 was playing very well. We knew we had to go into the Haiti game and get a result. And as I said, the first goal again was Bonnie Shaw to Trudy, Trudy Carter. And then we got on a roll after that. And then, you know, we're playing some good football. We beat 84 nil, And that was a celebration. The celebration started after that. And, you know, it was great. We know we had more games to try to qualify for the um, Olympics. We know Mexico, I mean, Canada was going to be tough. But we know we still can beat um, Costa Rica. As I said, we took care of Costa Rica. And that was the end of that tournament. And we have a chance for the... Um, we're going to the World Cup and have a chance to qualify for the Olympics. So that's how I said. So this is where we're at right now, trying to prepare for the World Cup and looking at players. I don't think we want to go there and just show up. I think we want to just take... We have lots of players now who are interested all over the world. Going into the World Cup now, the Federation has been very supportive right now. I must give them credit for that. Especially Mike Ricketts has been really, really supportive. So, you know, give him some credit. I mean... If it wasn't for Michael Ricketts, I wasn't. I wouldn't be hired. He was the one because at the time they voted not to hire me, but he stepped in and said he overruled that committee and said, "Hey, if we're gonna get to the World Cup, Lauren, Lauren has to be there." Okay, and so he overruled the committee, and he did the hiring himself. So, so that's where we are right now, trying to get ready for another World Cup. What a fantastic visit with Hugh Menzies, the head coach of the 2019 Jamaican World Cup team, and Lauren Donaldson, the 2023 Jamaica Women's World Cup team. Two excellent coaches in the ECNL as well. This is part of their visit with Ryan Bothman, the ECNL communications manager. We're going to take one more break, and Ryan will wrap up his visit with Hugh and Lauren after these messages. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, as Ryan Bothman visits with Hugh Menzies and Lauren Donaldson, the 2019 and 2023 Jamaica Women's World Cup team coaches, respectively. We leave it off with Ryan's last question for Hugh and Lauren. I guess the last thing I would have for you guys is just like, what did it mean to you guys personally like everything that you were able to accomplish and with all the adversity like you talked about what it meant to the country and the players but what did it mean to the two of you to since you were kind of the guys who led the whole charge on it and everything well for me personally I remember we had a meeting Lorna and myself who went down to Jamaica and they brought us in a room and said hey do you guys really want to coach the women or the U20 men to go to the Olympics because we feel like the U U23, sorry, the U23s had a better chance to go in the Olympics. And, we're, and Lauren and I are looking at ourselves like, where is this coming from? Obviously, we were one of the better coaches around there to, to probably, and they had a talented young U20 team, and they felt like this was going to be the group to get them to the Olympics. 
they ask us like, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you choose? And Lauren and I looked at ourselves and like, we're coaching the women. I mean, we think the women have a better chance. And they start, they start really looking and like, what? And then we're like, yeah, we're going to, that's who we're going to coach. And it was more like we had to prove to them that the reason why we choose that route. With all that said and all the adversity going through things and just now see where the players are now today. They're they're playing in top leagues, Money Shaw, obviously, playing at Man City and and everything. Um, it just it's just a breath of fresh air that through all that and it's made them a better person and made them aware that how important playing for their country is and it's not just the game. It's way more than that and, and the give back portion of it and the impact they're making on the young females in Jamaica and giving them hope is something that um, really meant a lot to me. Yeah, and, you know, me and you discussed this and, you know, I think we kind of fall out the same kind of block with that. I won't repeat everything you says, but all that you says, I'm a strong believer. You know, even with this last one, you feel like um, you go in there and you beat the odds because this time they say we're in the group of death and we will never qualify. I mean, they said it before, but you feel like, okay, you can, I mean, I feel like I, 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 I was given a chance and this is what I feel proud about, to empower some young ladies to, to prove everybody again that they're wrong, okay? And, 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 and maybe for the first time, you know, the, 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 the public in Jamaica, they, 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 you know, will look at our female, especially the football players, and give them the credit and that's, that's my biggest hope, okay? Are they going to get the credit that they deserve, okay? Or, you know, you go, you go to back-to-back World Cup, there has to be something in every other country. As I told somebody the other day, I said Mexico would give us 20 million U.S. right now if they were in our place. If they could switch place and say, hey, I give you 20 million and we take your place to go to the World Cup, they would do it right now. No question asked. But we treat it like it was supposed to be easy or something like that. And then people doesn't know the try and tribulation, how hard it is to qualify. So I take pride in watching these young lady stand there and said, okay, we're, we're going to prove you guys wrong again. Okay. And, and, you know, that's what I take my joy order. I take my joy from them because I give them all the credit. But again, you know, I always put it to track and field in Jamaica. Nobody cares about track and field, women track and field in Jamaica until Merlin Hutty came along and start doing some fantastic stuff. Now, track and field in, J- in Jamaica, after Usain Bolt, the ladies are the ones who everybody talk about right now. So we want to make sure that the girls, the reggae girls, are talk about on the same platform as some of those ladies. You know, I don't want to confuse track and field, but, you know, the track and field are showing their dominance that the ladies are. So we want to say, hey, these girls have done it, okay? All I'm asking people to do is give them the credit that they deserve. What a great interview. And speaking of giving credit, I want to thank, of course, Ryan Bothman, as well as Andrea Wheeler and all the great folks at the ECNL. I want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. In fact, two weeks from today, we'll visit with Sam Carey, the starting left back for the Iowa Hawkeyes, played for ECNL Girls Commissioner Ralph Richards at St. Louis, Scott Gallagher. Sam Carey, what an amazing story, an amazing person. She'll be on in two weeks right here on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.